Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. Uh, this morning, we're talking to the artist Ruth Pastine from Southern California. Uh, Ruth is an artist who's worked in three color systems that give her limitless possibilities for the past three decades, I believe. And the color systems are complementary colors. Most of all of them are red-green, blue-orange, or violet-yellow. Uh, this is one of the more interesting artists that I've talked to recently. Uh, and part of the reason is how deep she has gone in into her focus on the phenomenological investigation of color. Uh, I would really like now to introduce Ruth because I find even her theories sound much better when she speaks about them. Ruth is uh, working towards an art an exhibition at Maddox Gallery in Los Angeles called Inner Eye. It's a curated exhibition celebrating the legacy of seminal light and space movement. Ruth, welcome to A Private View. Thank you for getting up early. It's a pleasure to join you, Maeve. Thank you so much for having me. That that was a, a great on-ramp. I am a painter, and my focus is through... Um, the spontaneous process of painting itself on the canvas surface uh, through an investigation of color, uh, both in theory and in practice on the canvas surface. So um, advancing phenomena of color and the relativity of color and um, how that operates both with light and spatial interplay. My understanding is this interest in color started prior to you moving to California. It wasn't the great lights and open spaces of California that sparked your interest in color, was it? Uh, no, I actually, um, uh, well, born and raised in New York City and grew up in Manhattan, and part of my education was frequenting the major institutions there, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art and MoMA, uh, the Frick, the Guggenheim, and the Whitney. Uh, but my color investigations really started uh, as a young student in high school uh, at the High School of Music and Art and started to investigate color then. So the color investigation in your work started at an early age, and I, I, I wanted to take advantage of that moment in time when you were in New York, and I'm guessing the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and what you were doing, who, who you were at the time, and how you ended up with parents who took you to the Met and the MoMA and the Frick Museum so often. I, I was very fortunate uh, that my mother was very interested in culture, and um, we we I I just enjoyed that. So we were partners in going to museums and also frequent frequenting Broadway shows and Martha Graham. Uh, so I feel like uh, music and as well as art and dance and theater were all quite influential, along with 
traveling and visiting these institutions. It was really my high school painting teacher who focused um, our studies on perception. Of course, translating three dimensions of the model or the still life onto two dimensions, but I was captivated and in awe by color and how um, my focus just tended to uh, move on from there, ridding the object of any translations and just focusing on pure color, much to her dismay, but um, she was the, that was the introduction to looking at complementary colors and then learning later on about simultaneous contrast, um, doing research on um, Michel Eugene Chevreul, 19th century French chemist and other color theorists. But most of all, my, my work is really advanced through painting itself and learning about it on the spot, in the studio, and arms reach away from the surface that I'm working on. It's not re a regular thing that an artist finds what they want to do for the rest of their life in high school. And for you to sort of connect with, with a thesis, for the lack of a better word, that took you through your life was such a huge gift. Colors are often associated with psychology or spirituality. Uh, we know that advertising uses colors when they want people to eat in a restaurant or to seem smart. Uh, there's a lot of books that have been written about color. Recently, there was a book called The Secret Life of Color. There's Kandinsky's books. Do you have a relationship with color that borders on the spiritual? Um, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm well aware of Kandinsky's The Spiritual in Art. And, um, and also, uh, it was a, a new introduction, the, uh, that book that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, I think it's I, Carissa, Carissa or Clarissa St. Clair. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, that that was a delight. I, I was just in New York in September and a new colleague recommended that book to me and I hadn't um, seen it. So I'm actually looking at that now. Um, but getting back to um, the spiritual nature of color, I, I do feel color explores uh, existential inquiry. And I think art is focused on raising consciousness and color has uh, that innate and inherent ability to do just that. Um, it's, I think that's why my fascination with ongoing series, the blue series, the red series, these are always augmented by their complements. So the blue series is always in partnership and dialogue with orange and the red series is always in partnership with green, likewise, yellow and violet. And it's, it's just limitless, uh, the exploration. I, I do personally find that color is um, a spiritual on-ramp 
and certainly some of the artists I'm most drawn to have worked with color similarly. Um, uh, I mean, we're, we're going back all the way to Fra Angelico's frescoes at San Marco Monastery, um, but also Dan Flavin, his uh, installation at Richmond Hall for the DeMille. I find that installation extremely spiritual. I'll bet, you know, a minimal installation. And I do feel um, that was um, his intention. I know it was posthumously um, created, but he worked up until his passing on the plans for that installation. And it is remarkable. One of the things people can't believe is that your work is made uh, with a paintbrush. It's such a clean surface. That's one of the things. The other thing is you talk about color, but in fact, the tight restrictions you work within would be too much for a lot of people. Uh, it sometimes seems to me that you like to create this sense of anxiety or a pressure cooker to to work with just blue and orange or violet and yellow or red and green. You've limited yourself so much. I, I need to speak to you about why. You know, um, it's interesting. I, I feel like those parameters, although they are deceptively appearing as limitations, I actually find it enthralling just how far I can push and expand these finite means. And it's been um, an interest of mine since, since the, the 70s and 80s. I'm um, one of my favorite uh, works and it is Kazimir Malevich's White Square on White at MoMA. And I do recall seeing that painting when I was quite young, even prior to going to high school, I was not familiar with suprematism at that point, but I certainly learned who Malevich was. And I was dumbfounded by this very humble and um, but profound painting. I think I was a little stupefied by it. I wasn't sure what exactly it was about. And, and I would learn years later that it really was about this fortitude and also this infinite inquiry. I, I mean, if you think about it, in 1915, he was already working on minimalism. I think that that painting is such a profound minimalist object. In case you haven't seen the painting, it's white on white. And it was done in 1918 or around that time. It was part of a yes. series. And this was a questionable in the extreme and shocking in the extreme. So uh, what he was was far ahead of his time in terms of what the inner eye sees and what was going to happen with the eye through cameras and film and um, all sorts of technological advancements, I think. Personally, I think his relationship with White was uh, 
also because it, it was used as a coating to whitewash things. It was a metaphor for so much that was happening in the world at a time that was kind of coinciding with industrialization. And I mean, you just go everywhere with it. It, 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 no, you're, 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 it's so true. What you're sharing, it, it wasn't just about art and painting. There were politics, there was the revol- the industrial revolution, there was a change for humanity in how humanity would now operate. Anyone listening, sit up now because I'm going to tell you what a what a Kazmir Malevic goes for at auction, 60 million. So we're talking about white on white. However, how significant its place and time in the art world and the art movements is sort of reflected in the price it went for in 2008, I believe. It was 60 million. Ooh. So if Ooh. you're thinking this is all pretentious art talk, you can roll your eyes at the 60 million of the person who thought <laughs> to buy it. and. <laughs> And that's uh, that's something I want to say. It was culturally influential, this piece too. So we'll just move on. But I think I think probably, Ruth, you know why I mentioned that. Because you and I both were part of a time when art wasn't just about money. No. Um, and and um, still, still uh, grappling with that because, um, <laughs> you know, you said, how, how do you, how do you have the fortitude? I mean, how, you know, how do you justify spending um, decades in the studio without ever selling a painting, you know, but um, I guess that's a certain, a certain um, makeup, but it's self-confidence, self-belief. Yeah. As a young artist, um, I didn't question, you know, that I was doing this um, in the belief that one day I would be able to uh, support my working methodology uh, towards making the work. Is that are you telling me that you're making money and you can support people from your work now? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you so eloquently said? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am. Well done. Am. Well done. Well, yeah. let's go a little commercial for a second and talk about Inner Eye that's coming up in Los Angeles. It's opening later this month on the 20, 20th at Maddox Gallery. Uh, Alice Tang and Joss McDonald, I think, put the show together with you and Sally Mueller. And it's called Inner Eye. Yes. Um, uh, it, you know, it's it's been an absolute pleasure um, meeting Josh and Alice and the Los Angeles Maddox Gallery team. They've all been so collaborative and uh, so receptive and sensitive to the work and towards spearheading um, a new vision for the gallery. And our dialogues um, have um, initiated this upcoming, um, it's almost like two partnering solo shows, the way that Alice Tang has um, curated and installed the work. There's a wonderful dialogue between uh, Sally Muller and my work. We use very different materials, um, but there is a sense of 
the experiential, the perceptual, the visceral that we share through very different means. Uh, and that's on until how long does it run? Uh, the uh, it's up from um, January 21st through March 21st. I was just informed, and it is um, in during the past two years during lockdown. Um, I happened to um, change my working methodology just because of the anxiety that I think we were all faced with. And I spearheaded um, a new body of work that I began in 2020, uh, working with oil on paper. Um, my, my primary format is painting with oil on canvas. Um, but there was something about um, the unknown of what we were facing. I, I don't think any of us predicted that it would be ongoing for two years. Um, but in the moment in my studio, the anxiety is that presented itself with lockdown and staying in. Um, I, I actually didn't find it easy to imagine investing the weeks and months that I usually dedicate to realizing uh, a body of work. And as I work in series, I'm not only focused on a singular painting, but a body of work that can span from eight to 20 canvases simultaneously, depending on that particular series, I just didn't have that physical investment uh, within me at the time. And the depth series, uh, there will be a few um, included in the show, were a wonderful way to continue to paint, continue to work and further my explorations but almost as breaths. I really think of those pieces as an inhale and an exhale. Um, I, I would maybe approach them with one to two layers and there was a liberation and a freedom to working on paper that sometimes uh, the larger canvases don't afford. And as the pandemic uh, persisted, I did move back to working to larger canvases and somehow um, was juggling five new bodies of work, <laughs> uh, which Alice Tang um, was so um, open to including in inner eyes. So usually I will feature for an exhibition um, one body of work that I have evolved perhaps over the course of eight to 10 months to a year. And so it's a year out that I'm planning my exhibitions, but somehow working in isolation and having no distractions of travel and friends and company, I ended up evolving five different bodies of work that I'm still going to advance. And we're showcasing 
um, several pieces from each of these series. So it's almost wow. like a little survey. And lo and behold, due to this conversation, we are going to work towards an actual survey for Maddox Gallery's new Beverly Hills location later in the year in fall 2022. So um, it's an unusual exhibition in that respect. And I'm excited to have people see um, these five bodies of work exhibited together. We're talking now about Inner Eye at Maddox, Los Angeles, and that is why we're, we're speaking to Ruth Pastine right now. Uh, it's been a great opportunity, and that's what these shows do. They bring artists that have been working for years in a studio to your attention and give you a chance to engage. The time that the gallery has the exhibition on is the time when you're likely to meet the artist, to be able to stand in front of their work and not look at it online, to talk to people who work in galleries and can share insights into what the artist is doing, how they work, how they feel, what they connect to, what context they can be seen in. So we spent a couple of years in lockdown missing that actual experience of going into galleries and for this opening to have the chance to walk in see the work meet the artist and talk to the people selling the work it's a privilege that I wouldn't miss and I'd suggest everybody else make the trip to uh, Maddox Gallery in Los Angeles and see Inner Eye and moving on from that I'm going to move on to the next question and that's about your influences I think I know what they are, but I actually again with you I don't want to make assumptions who are you influenced by or what are your influences? And I mean, maybe you as a person, or we could talk about your work. I'm, I'm, don't necessarily need to distinguish. I don't think. Oh, um, well, well, um, you know, for um, I'll just throw it out there that uh, Frank Lloyd Wright actually um, seems to be um, a constant influence, uh, very inspired by his inventiveness to sort of uh, reinvent, reinvent the, the structures that he works with towards each individual project, as opposed to imposing a sort of a conceptual overview on each project. And, and that's always um, something that I recall and find um, very inspiring. But as far as artists, um, I did mention Fra Angelico. The high renaissance in high school was certainly an early influence. Um, uh, as we spoke about Malevich and, and suprematism and um, Monet and Van Gogh actually early on and still remain um, strong influences. Both of them used radical color. And, um, and I, although it might not appear such because my paintings have this seamless surface as all the brushstrokes ultimately resolve, but I'm really coming from almost an abstract expressionist uh, 
conceptual underpinnings. My my painting process is actually quite raw and open. And um, I evolve these paintings really spontaneously, right from the gut, very viscerally. Yeah, um, and arms reach away. I'm mixing color on the palette and as well as on the canvas surface. And, and so they're very raw when I begin. I have notions of color systems. And of course, I'm working within sacred geometry, the square, uh, the circle, the, the diamond, those tend to... Um, uh, come in and out of, of certain series of works. And of course, the vertical rectangle and the horizontal, those, those are my primary structures. But from there, I, I always address that open space, that white canvas as um, a potential for, for new discovery. Um, and I think most would be quite surprised that um, I really don't know the outcome. I don't think I'd do it if I did. Tell me what art is for. I really feel it's it's about raising consciousness. And um, I think um, that's one of the reasons so many have equated my work to Mark Rothko, although it doesn't appear or look like Rothko in any respect. Um, I think that um, art really explores um, ultimately the human condition, the profundity of the human condition. And I think art is a way of registering one's humanity. Do you think it's possible that you can discover in your painting new meanings to color? I do uh, feel that there is new meaning um, through new investigations of color. And, and I do uh, feel that um, the times and the climate uh, of what's happening socially, politically, as you mentioned, um, you know, color can be a spiritual awakening. It can be an existential inquiry. It, it can make you hungry. It can make you um, impassioned. It can, it can make you sad. I, why does some music just make you want to cry and other make you want to dance. I mean, we have Matisse to dance and we have Rothko to cry. Uh, we're going to finish there because it was perfect. And I look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Maeve. It's been a delight and, and I'm most uh, uh, appreciative of this conversation with you. And the feelings mutual. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. I am an art critic and artistic director at Maddox Gallery. This podcast is brought to you courtesy of Maddox Gallery. The music is by Korshid Homi, and it's produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>